<sighs> well, would you like to get started? <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> pathetic, we're pathetic. <laughs> Mm-mm. We're just really bad at staying on topic and doing things. Plus, we want to talk, and the holidays are hard. So hard here we be... are. This is why working with friends and family is so hard. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Blair. And I'm Kirsten, and we are... Mediocre, Mediocre content. content and uh, happy new year happy new year happy new year yeah. we hope that you had a wonderful time over the last couple of weeks you're feeling refreshed or not i don't know totally exhausted <laughs> totally. because that's reasonable too <laughs> yeah they're difficult if, if any of you travel i hope that everything went smoothly and that you got back and forth safely apparently if you're listening to this, maybe you're in the car doing that right now. So yeah, just be safe. Eyes on what the road. <laughs> yeah, eyes on the road. Absolutely. <laughs> um, we also had a very we had a chill uh, Christmas and New Year's, which was mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. So we actually had Chinese food on Christmas, oh, so and it nice. was lovely. Lovely. Yeah, love to see it. Yeah, I did not have that. <laughs> but I now wish that I did. <laughs> Shout out to the one Chinese restaurant in Monterey that uh, was open. <laughs> you know we what the problem you. is? I don't, tell me if this is the same for you. So like a lot of our Chinese or even Japanese uh, restaurants are normally closed on Mondays. And because Christmas day was on a Monday, oh, not a lot of them were open. I know a lot of restaurants in general close on Mm. Mondays because it's usually a slow day for them. Yeah. And I get that, but also Sag. (laughs) Yes. Very Sag. Um, So I guess uh, we're going to be talking about really fluffy stuff today. So if you want, let's dive in. All right. So this is your disclaimer. Um, We are not experts on anything. Uh, if you have come to the podcast to get any kind of advice, obviously don't do that. And, uh, if you want to learn about things that we have resources in our bio that you can Mm -hmm. scoot on over to, um, otherwise put your thoughts and feelings in the comments (laughs) down below (laughs) and we'll read them on, on our next pod. So thoughts, feelings, concerns. (laughs) Yes. Um, you think that was good i'm gonna go on to the good news now yeah because you actually have it this time i do i do that's correct (laughs) i'm not gonna mess it up twice in a row i i am honestly so excited about this good news and normally i am not very excited about anything our government does (laughs) but like this i'm excited about american government Um, incoming (laughs) so uh joe biden announced and i saw it on instagram because i do follow the president and the vice president on Instagram. That's probably smart, um, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I follow I follow him, and they and he announced that they're doing a Los Angeles to Las Vegas high speed rail. Can you believe it? Whoa. A high speed train. Like I love trains. Japan. Oh, it's amazing. Gosh, I, I love trains. <laughs> I'm so excited. You should be. That's um, great. <laughs> because I think I've never actually 
ridden on a train for a long distance, mm. but I'm excited about it because I like it better. I think it would be a more positive and more comfortable experience than flying because yes. flying, if you don't know, has gotten ridiculously terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, not just the security before, but also I feel like the seats are progressively getting smaller. There's evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, love a train. We've had train trips. So fun. Mm. So relaxing. Right. The only yes. difficulty, which I feel like you face also in an airplane, is the bathroom situation because you are moving. Okay. <laughs> you true. are going That's so true. fast. Yeah. And the tracks are not always smooth. <laughs> I actually just watched a video yesterday of a train trip from San Francisco to Chicago. Oh. And they had a lovely time. I and love it. Yeah. We did and- Richmond to Rhode Island and it was great. Ah, oh, that's awesome. I, oh, it's no. just, yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so anyway, that's one of my goals in life is to do like a long thing <laughs> like that. We should do it together. Anyway, we should, oh my God. We should we do should. like a cross we, America train yes. ride. <laughs> yes. 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 We're okay. doing it. Okay. Plans. All right. Anyway, let's get on to it because they're probably like, we <laughs> sorry, don't care about sorry. your travel plans. <laughs> it's fine though. Um, <laughs> all right. So with the high speed rail taking two hours and 10 minutes from LA to Las Vegas, which is actually not that bad compared to three hours by plane, Mm. which that includes not just the flight, but also like the two hours you have to get to the airport before and the security and like all that other layover stuff. Yeah. Layover. Any of that. Normally though, I think LA to Las Vegas is a direct flight. Well, that's a saving grace. But yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but in the event that you have to do a layover mm-hmm. based on the flight that you choose and all that other stuff, um, two hours and 10 minutes doesn't seem that bad. Yeah. Um, okay. So then you could also do four hours and 10 minutes by bus, which sounds miserable yes. or four hours and 15 minutes by car on good traffic days. And if you've ever been anywhere in California, you know, there's never a good traffic day. That's just a myth. <laughs> it's a myth. Um, so 8.2 billion from the president's investing in America agenda to deliver transformative passenger rail in America. Um, today the Biden Harris administration is announcing 8.2 billion in new funding for 10 major passenger rail projects across the country, including the first world world-class high-speed rail project in our country's history. This is amazing. So amazing. Key selected projects include building a new high-speed rail system between California and Nevada, which we just talked about, mm-hmm. um, which will serve 11 million passengers annually. Wow. Creating a high-speed rail line through California's Central Valley to ultimately link Los Angeles. Um, and I guess also they want to do um, one from between Los Angeles and San Francisco, which would also be very helpful. That I would feel. be very helpful. Um, which will serve more than 11, which will also serve a lot. Nope. I lost my place. I'm sorry. Uh, supporting travel (laughs) with speeds up to 220 miles per hour, delivering, delivering significant upgrades to frequently traveled rail corridors in Virginia, North Carolina, and the district of Columbia. So they're adding, they're refurbishing some, some train travel as well. And upgrading and expanding the capacity at Chicago Union Station in Illinois. Uh, that one def- definitely needs it desperately. Yes. 
Yeah. Yes. These historic projects will create tens of thousands of good paying union jobs, Fair. unlock economic opportunity for communities across the country and open up safe, comfortable and climate friendly travel options uh, to get people th- to their destinations in a fraction of the time it takes to drive. Is that because it's magnetic? Um, unclear. Okay. I was just wondering I don't if want they to say. Ind- indicated the, well, I guess... Uh, Climate friendly, I, cars I think, right. Yeah. So I think okay. that's the thing. I don't know okay. exactly what the train will be operating on, uh, whether it's electric or coal mm-hmm. or like whatever. I, I don't think high speed rail does coal though. I, I don't, but normally, I could be wrong. Yeah. I think they're normally magnetic. Yeah. So yeah. great question. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, but I think also climate friendly could account for the fact that it's yeah. public transportation, right? right? So it's like less cars on the road individually. Correct. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, the Biden Harris administration is building out a pipeline of passenger rail projects in every region of the country in order to achieve the president's vision of world-class passenger rail. And I love that he has this vision and I'm so excited. I mean, we've talked about this before about the lack of lots of useful public transportation yes. in the state. If you listen if you've listened to the pod, you know that I mm-hmm. am a huge public transportation person. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if I wasn't a nurse, I'd probably work for like some sort of like mm-hmm public transportation and promotion group. thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, <laughs> yeah. whatever. I, don't, I have no idea. I forget what the real term is. It's like, uh, yeah. I don't know, Department of Interior maybe or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I love public transportation. I think this is a lovely idea. Yeah, I just, I, agree. I love it so much. I love it so much. Um, yes, so lots of jobs, yeah. uh, lots of future travel plans mm-hmm. that are very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, they, let's see. Um, I don't think that they gave an estimated time in which this will be done. I think Great they question. just announced it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that project so will be huge. So. Follow the president on Instagram. Yeah. With those updates. <laughs> yeah. Now I have a question about your following situation. Yeah. When that president is no longer present anymore, do you unfollow and new follow the new one? Or are you just constantly on there? I think, it's, I think it's the POTUS handle. So it's oh, the, so whoever, it's the is president, president. whoever it is president uh, is posting to that account. You're I just believe. not following Joe. <laughs> like, right. Where'd you eat right. Joe? <laughs> I don't know if Joe has like a. Yeah, probably not. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Like a personal he probably does. account? Yeah. yeah. Not sure. I don't know. I know <laughs> that the side note, I know <laughs> that the first cat, Willow, has uh, her own Instagram. As she and should. I, I love Willow. And they posted Willow the other day because she was sniffing an ornament on one of the mini trees they have in the White House. And they were like, Willow is our official White House ornament inspector. (laughs) And I just love it so much. It's a tough job. (laughs) Probably the toughest job. (laughs) I'm obsessed with Willow. I hope that most presidents have cats now instead of dogs. Or both. Both is fine. Cats are great. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, So yeah, my second good news is chocolate related love it um so artists spent 200 hours over two weeks carving a life-size willy wonka using anything what else but chocolate the six foot two sculpture uh inspired by the uh character in the new movie wonka played by timothy charcuterie board um (laughs) (laughs) was unveiled this week in london's trafalgar square 
sculpted into the character's iconic pose featuring the hat tip and cane. The creation was molded and handcrafted from more than 100 liters of melted chocolate by chocolate sculptor Jen Lindsay Clark and a small team. Um, Only the head uses a non-cocoa center. As a chocolate sculptor, this was the absolute dream commission, says Jen, who recently created a bust of King Charles ahead of the coronation. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> Just about any everyone in the world of confectionery has been inspired by the magic of Willy Wonka and Doll's inventive storytelling one way or another. Uh, and that's referencing Ronald Doll, the guy who wrote the original Willy Wonka book, for those who don't know. Uh, the new film, which features Timothy Charcuterie Board <laughs> as Wonka and Hugh Grant as the Oompa Loompa, was released on Friday by Warner Brothers and is the latest in a respectable line of films based on Ronald Dahl's literary literary classic, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Debatable because the Johnny Depp one was weird. Uh, <laughs> I it, <liked> it. <laughs> it, it follows the life of younger Willy Wonka, chock full of ideas and determined to change the world. It depicts the path that he took to become the iconic candy maker, which several generations have come to know and love. Not sponsored. <laughs> um, the sculpture has since been moved so pedestrians wouldn't begin eating it, basically. No, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. I heard that the new so, Wonka uh, is a musical, yeah. actually, as well. Is it? That's what they say. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Okay. I think we're going to go see it in either today or tomorrow. So well, let I'll us let, know. I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every, when you said a charcuterie board, I thought of like a butternut clockworks or cricket game. I don't know. Whatever his name is. <laughs> um, <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know everybody makes fun of him, but I heard a drag queen call Billie Eilish William Eyelash, and I can't unhear <laughs> it. It's just what it is. It. <laughs> yeah, so Timothy Chalamet is Timothy Charcuterie Board, and Billie Eilish is William Eyelash. Butternut cricket match. It's just the same, you know. I know. I know. <laughs> same, same, but different. And everybody knows what you're saying. Though. Yes, they know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> Good for him. He's really made a staple of that. I want to know. So. I don't know if he started it or if somebody did and just mispronounced it and it's been a thing ever since, but I love those things. Me too. Yeah. Me too. You know what else I love? Dogs. I do. Love <laughs> I do that love for you. <laughs> Which is great <laughs> because that's our topic for today. Yes, it is. Uh, now, I know we just talked about Willow, but dogs are great too. Dogs are great. And I... I don't I like just, this. I don't. I don't want people to think that I'm an only cat person. I it's just true. love my cats like they're my children, my biological children. True. So I just, and I think yeah. it also has to do with the fact that they're my first like pets on my own yeah. without like the family yeah. dynamic. It so, it changes. Anyway, it yeah. changes. But and anyway, we'll, to, we'll we'll talk about uh you know our childhood puppers as well um near the end and uh, uh obviously we want to know if you guys have dogs. And what kinds of dogs you have? Yes. Uh, do you have a favorite breed? dog? Pictures, please. Pictures are required yes. if you mm-hmm. send us anything yeah. uh, related to your pupper. A picture better be included. Agreed. But we'll cover all of that later. Um, but I also just want to say yes, we do have cats, but we are equal opportunity animal lovers. We are. Yes, that is correct. 
So as usual, we'll talk about a little bit of the history and when it comes to animals, the genealogy and their archaeology is very important because uh, unlike things like fossils, these things are still in existence and they kind of have like a DNA uh, lineage that is still holding true today and of course a segmented sense. So archaeological evidence and DNA analysis make the Bon Oberkassel dog the first and undisputed example of a dog, apparently. Not me looking up a picture. (laughs) Feel free. Uh, The remains, which included a right mandible jaw, were discovered during basalt quarrying in Oberkassel, Germany, which is why I'm assuming they call it the Oberkassel dog. And this was found in 1914. And uh, it was originally misclassified as a wolf um, and buried with two humans around 14,000 years ago. So this is kind of how they decided it. Was so done. I could see how they considered this a wolf, um, yeah. but it's actually like much smaller than a wolf. Yeah. And that's a good distinguishing feature between wolves and like domesticated dogs. Um, mm-hmm. They do have outside of just instinctual um attributes they also have physical attributes that set them apart and we'll talk a little bit i think maybe briefly about that um so there are many theories that suggest dogs may be in fact even older than that for example many experts say that dogs started to separate from wolves starting sixteen thousand years ago before present in southeastern asia And the progenerators of the dogs we know and love today may have first appeared in the regions of modern day Nepal and Mongolia at a time when humans were still hunters and gatherers, which makes sense to me, uh, because you'd probably want assistance if you're hunting and gathering. That is correct. Additional evidence suggests that around 15,000 years ago, early dogs moved out of Southern and Central Asia and dispersed around the world following humans, of course, as they then migrated. And hunting camps in Europe are also thought to be home to canines known as Paleolithic dogs. And they first appeared some 12,000 years ago and had different morphological and genetic features than the wolves in Europe at the time, which obviously then distinguished them from those. And because wolves aren't running around with humans, so they were probably buried around humans or remains were found where humans were at the time as well. Um, Sure. Quantitative analysis of these canine fossils found that the dogs had skulls similar in shape to that of the Central Asian Shepherd dog. And overall, while the Bon Oberkassel dog is the first dog we can all agree on uh, as a dog, it's possible that there were much older versions, um, but there's little evidence that we have in concrete at the moment. Sure. Yeah. So there's even more dispute about the timeline and history of dogs with the humans themselves. Most scientists and canine geneticists agree that they were first tamed by those hunter-gatherers between 9,000 to 34,000 years ago, so it's a huge range of potential timeline. More recent studies suggest humans may have first domesticated them uh, between 64 and 14,000 years ago with an initial wolf population split to East and West Eurasian wolves, which were domesticated independently of each other and giving birth to two distinct dog populations before completely going extinct. Uh, The separate domestication of wolf groups supports the theory that there were two domestication incidents, of course, and 
you can tell because similar to other animals in the world, you may have birds in one area that have distinct morphological and genetic features than maybe another set of birds. Those are like the most common examples. You're not going to have a, a seagull that's the same as a chickadee for obvious reasons. Right. Dogs that stayed in East Eurasia may have been first tamed by those Paleolithic humans in southern China, while other dogs followed human tribes further west to European lands, and genetic studies have found that mitochondrial genomes of all modern dogs are most closely related to the canids of Europe, meaning one of them probably died out completely and the other one just continued a lineage thereafter. Um, studies have also reported that the dog's domestication was heavily influenced by the dawn of agriculture, and this is something that we actually talked about in episode three, which seems like a millennia ago, um, which was a podcast catastrophe, the history of cats, and this is where humans kind of may have domesticated, may have kind of inadvertently created this symbiotic relationship, because in that episode we discussed how Part of the thing with humans is when you have established communities as humans, you also have established food and storage resources around, and that attracts pests such as rats and insects and snakes and things of that nature. And mm -hmm. that is, a, is annoying to humans, but also a food source for other animals such as a cat. And so you have an abundance of pests that can be eaten by cats who migrated to your storage shed and started hanging around humans because it was convenient for them. And the humans right. were like, fantastic, eat my rats, you can stay. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and that's kind of how that domestication happened then, just by chance with good, resources around both that complemented both right and like humans were like oh i like you so i'll feed yeah, you like that right. kind of thing and that happens today cat distribution yeah. center <laughs> exactly yep but shout out to my mom who recently got a cat <laughs> distributed to her we i decided i'm gonna call it sprout oh what a cute name i thought so <laughs> i love it yeah. sprout there you go mom mm -hmm. <laughs> but the same thing could have also happened to dogs as well. If you're a hunter-gatherer, uh, you're human, so you don't have but human-made tools to track down or potentially take prey, where a dog is kind of naturally able to take those. They're descended from wolves who are natural hunters as it is. They travel in packs already, so now you've got the group dynamic. It just kind of happens that way. Yes. Mm -hmm. So like most things, symbiosis kind of and natural selection um, took their took the reins there. So now we can talk about kind of that bond uh, between humans and dogs. And there have been extensive studies due to its very unique nature because uh, a lot of people joke around that like cats are super independent and dogs are like your best friend and your companion for life and blah, blah, blah. Of course, sure. being being a cat owner, particularly a boy cat owner, as you know, mm. uh, they cling just as hard <laughs> they sometimes do. as dogs. They do. But I would say that dogs are sometimes less independent and do enjoy that constant socialization. Whereas it's that unconditional it. love situation. Yeah. yeah. And cats define those boundaries very um, quickly and mm -hmm. obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and dogs, I feel, just have less. <laughs> so this special relationship can be traced 
kind of where we discussed where they were kind of all living in groups together with humans and other dogs. So a pack mentality. Mm -hmm. um, early domestication theory suggests that the symbiotic mutualistic relationship between the two species started when humans moved to the colder Eurasia regions, which is kind of what we talked about. And those Paleolithic dogs first began to appear at the same time. They developed shorter skulls, wider brain cases, and snouts um, compared to that of their wolf ancestors, which are very narrow and kind of streamlined looking almost. Mm -hmm. Um, think of like a wolf face compared to a pit bull. <laughs> so, right. So, you no, know, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The shorter snout eventually led to fewer teeth, which may have then results uh, resulted in the humans attempt to breed the aggression out of the dogs because mm. they weren't as vicious looking, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, although a dog bite still hurts. Uh, <laughs> so correct. Ancestors of the modern dog did enjoy plenty of benefits, of course, like we talked about. Uh, but outside of the food source, it also improved their safety. So they were able to live longer and have more generations, which is the point of most animals. You want to have as many generations of your type as you can because population is your source of longevity. Steady food supply, like we've kind of talked about. Um, and then overall, just that you kind of have a pack within your pack. Right. Humans with their upright gait and better color vision, which if you didn't know, dogs are colorblind um, or have a range of color they can only see uh, do. compared to humans. And also helped, of course, then spotting predators and prey over larger ranges. It has been hypothesized that humans in the early Holocene era, which was 10,000 years-ish ago, would have chosen wolf puppies for behaviors like tameness and friendliness towards people. And similar to natural selection, that's kind of like a forced natural selection, but you start breeding those pups who have those tendencies. And right. now it's a greater chance that those pups will also have their generations with the same. That's just genetics. These it puppies, <laughs> they grew to be hunting companions, they tracked, retrieved, etc. with different prey and game. And the dogs heightened sense of smell, which we're, you know, we're aware of for like beagles yeah. and bloodhounds and things like that, greatly assisted. And aside from helping humans hunt, uh, dogs have also proved useful around uh, camp. They would clean up leftovers, so less scraps mm -hmm. for pests and parasites to become prevalent, so less disease and sickness potentially. And they're warm and fluffy, so you're gonna cuddle with right. that thing. <laughs> so weird fact. Well, yeah. I don't know if it's a weird fact. Um, but like, so my dad always tells this story. Um, him and his family went camping in the wilderness of Canada once. Hmm. Um, and they it was him, his three brothers, uh, my grandma and grandpa, and then they had a German shepherd. Oh. And because they were in the wilderness of Canada, mm -hmm. um, of course, and it was like during not the winter time. Sure. Um, of course, you have a risk of being attacked by a bear, Common. or moose. You know, a moose, <laughs> or you know, all of those big forest animals yes. that live in Canada. Um, so my dad tells this story. They were sleeping in their tent, and they had one of those like coleman camping coolers oh, that yeah. like lock yeah, yeah. you know and they're like metal mm -hmm. um and i guess a bear decided that they wanted oh. the cooler horrifying um and their dog who's a german <laughs> shepherd who i we don't know how big the bear was mm -hmm. um but 
the dog chase the bear away. Nice. Hey, yes. woo, don't steal my picnic basket. That's right. That's right. I love that. Um, so some dogs, most yeah. dogs, I would say, still yeah. want to defend their territory. Absolutely. It makes perfect sense. That's yes. so <laughs> Go you dad. Just, you triggered that memory because you said around <laughs> camp. And I was True. like, this is a great story. So. It's a great example of exactly that. <laughs> anyway, so nobody got mauled by a bear. The dog was fine. <laughs> Thank God. The cooler was saved. So I think I think it yeah. all worked out. That's got to be scary, though. I know. Ugh, I know. Like my heart would just drop. <laughs> yeah. I would really look at that bear and be like, well, this is it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> this is you can have go. whatever you want because what I am have I gonna no do? Chance. All right. right. <laughs> That's horrifying. Yeah. Um, so kind of moving a little bit um to a little bit of a different region. There's just a note here that says Australian Aborigines may have even used uh, express expressions such as three dog night, um, which was used to describe a night so cold that three dogs would be needed to keep a person from freezing. Oh, so that makes sense. Yeah. So dogs were so prevalent in these groups and in these areas, as far as potential domestication goes, that they even had expressions around it. So they became integral into human life very early on, um, which explains the bond that we have. Um, they were obviously valued members of foraging societies and were considered superior to other types of dogs back then. Uh, and they often were given proper names as, you know, and considered part of the family, which is what we do now. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, these dogs were used to pack animal life because that's just their instinct anyway so it was very synonymous with what they were already used to as an animal and they uh, the studies suggest that the domesticated dogs in what is now Siberia were actually selected selectively bred as sled dogs as early as 9,000 years ago which then helped the migration to North America um, and brought dogs here as well mm -hmm. of course in turn the weight standard for these kinds of dogs were 20 to 25 kilograms for optimum thermoregulation. Mm. And, uh, and this is found in what we know as our modern breed for a husky, of course, Siberian Makes husky. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's also other types like the Alaskan Malamute, which is from Alaska, but it's a similar, it's like a divergence almost um, of some of those earlier dogs very fluffy yes uh, or samoyan also uh-huh yeah. yep and while it may seem like humans value dogs in mere utilitarian sense studies also suggest that humans just formed emotional bonds with their companions i mean you have to think if you're going out and hunting with this thing all the time and you're spending the majority of your time with them eating together playing together maintaining health together i feel like it's natural that that kind of happens it's not yeah. just a tool for example it's not like well, your shovel. And, <laughs> and dogs can also you know defend yeah. humans in like the wilderness like depending on mm -hmm. the type of animal in which you come across they so have that's also a helpful trait as yeah, well exactly um, and so with that, the evidence of that original dog, the Bon Obercastle, being buried with humans, um, you know, that's just kind of the bond in, in scientists' eyes, that's the bond incarnate, 
like yeah. this was mm -hmm. even prior to us knowing that they used them in cases of hunting and sled dogs etc right um that original dog bon Overcastle, would have also required intensive care for survival as pathology studies hypothesize that it suffered from what's called canine distemper and you should know what that is if you own any animal in terms of like cats or dogs they get a distemper shot um, to prevent things like this and all these suggest the presence of symbolic or emotional ties between this dog and the humans which which it was buried and blah 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 so that's kind of the gist of everything um they just go on to say things like they adjust barking to communicate more efficiently with humans because it's different than a pack bark or a howl which we know mm -hmm. from wolves uh they find their own communication i think they have beautiful soulful eyes and <laughs> they do they do um and they have different vocalizations and uh patterns of behavior that we know so when we come back uh we'll continue to talk just a little bit about the ancient puppies and then we'll get into some of the different types of breeds that are out there. And um, we'll talk about it after the break. Hi, Kirsten. Hi, Blair. Do you have cats? Why, yes, I do. Then you should play mediocre content for your cats. And why is that? Because it has been shown to soothe cats and reduce hairballs. Really? Yes, in fact, I play mediocre content for my cats too. Mediocre content is for all pets. That's so great to know. I will play mediocre content for my cats right now. You should. Everyone should listen to mediocre content with their pets today. Mediocre content has not been shown to reduce hairballs or soothe any animals of any species. In fact, it's very probable to create the exact opposite effect. Please use caution while exposing your furry friends to mediocre content. It's also pretty dodgy for humans to listen at your own risk. Mediocre content is not responsible for any negative effects of podcast listening. Welcome back, everybody. We're going to continue talking about human's best friend, or one of them, anyway. Puppers! Puppies! All right, like I said, we're going to continue just a little bit uh, on the ancient civilization side, um, just to kind of continue solidifying that um, best friend mentality, because as mm -hmm. if you didn't know, mm -hmm. we're just going to reinforce it, okay? So they remained valued companions, even as our more ancient civilization rose to the world. And aside from being faithful companions, dogs also became important cultural features in a lot of places. And this is also similar to our conversation about cats. Correct. In Europe, the Middle East, and North America, walls, tombs, scrolls, you name it, there were depictions of dogs hunting game. They were buried with their masters, like we talked about as early as 14,000 years ago. And there were, of course, even statues of these canines that would stood, uh, that stood guard for crypts or, you know, the burial mm -hmm. sites, for example. Yeah. Uh, the Chinese have always placed great importance on dogs, the first animals that they domesticated, and as gifts from heaven, dogs were thought to be uh, thought to have sacred blood, and therefore canine blood was essential in oaths and allegiances, which is kind of morbid and disgusting, but also makes sense if you think they're straight from heaven above. Uh, they were sadly sacrificed <laughs> to prevent bad luck and keep disease at bay, which in my opinion is counterproductive because <laughs> they were probably eating the pests. <laughs> <laughs> right so it's it's again the whole like plague black situation cat yeah mm -hmm. plague situation but <laughs> sure whatever humans be humaning i guess they do <laughs> so, 
but these dogs were also made into um or not made into but they were carved dogs in amulets from jade and worn for personal protection as well mm-hmm. dog collars and pendants depicting dogs were found in ancient sumer as well as ancient egypt where they were considered companions to the gods and of course allowed to roam freely in these societies and would protect their masters herds and property so like a sheepdog mm-hmm Amulets of the canines were carried for protection again, and figurines made of clay buried under buildings as well. The Sumerians also thought dog saliva was medicinal, uh, and that it allegedly promoted healing. Uh, I wonder if if that's like the wives' tale that if you get a cut or something, you let your dog lick it, that it'll be like better. Instead, you're going to get Jardia if you let it lick you in the mouth, which is a stomach virus from the ground. Oh, that. oh, <laughs> science as a medical professional i feel like i should know about this but i don't <laughs> look it up it's great great uh if you've ever been around or near a dog's mouth however it does not it does not heal you it just brings you back from the dead with how rancid it is <laughs> it's disgusting bad breath bad breath in ancient Greece, dogs were highly regarded as protectors and hunters, of course, as well. And they invented the spiked collar that protected their dogs' necks from predators. So you see that a lot nowadays with like pit bulls or Dobermans or whatever. But it was actually in previous ancient times made that way to protect them because the neck is a very vulnerable area. What are dogs doing to protect their neck? Not much. So humans tried to help out. The ancient Greek school of philosophy, cynicism, derives its name from konukos, which means dog-like in Greek, which is fun. Hmm. And four types of dogs can be distinguished from Greek writings and art. These included the Laconian, which was a hound used for hunting deer and hares, Molosian, which didn't have a description, the Cretan, most likely a cross between the Laconian and the Molosian, and the Meliton, which was a small, long-haired lap dog. So fun cute of course the romans couldn't be outdone so they also had laws mentioning dogs as guardians of the home and flock and it prized canines over other pets such as cats sag sad dogs were also thought to provide protection against supernatural threats a dog barking in thin air for example is said to be warning its owners of the presence of spirits and we see that today i (laughs) with both animals first of all (laughs) cats were the original fair (laughs) <laughs> and dogs just tried to be clever um, <laughs> and copy a cat <laughs> and copy the cat exactly copycat cat, copy right. dog <laughs> i don't know <laughs> similar to china and greece mayans and aztecs also associated dogs with divinity and they used canines in religious rituals and ceremonies for these cultures, dogs would serve as guides for deceased souls in the afterlife and deserve to be respected, of course, in the same way as their elders. Norse culture had strong connections with dogs, if you don't know. Um, if you don't, you should. Because um, I feel like it's very prevalent in a lot of Norse um, like shows or movies around. I feel Definitely. like you, see, you know what yeah. I mean? You see the symbolism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Norse burial sites have turned up more dog remains than any other culture in the world, and dogs pulled the goddess Frigg's chariot and served as protectors for their masters in the afterlife. After death, warriors were reunited with their loyal dogs in Valhalla, which I think is adorable, and also, in my opinion, kind of related to the old movie All Dogs Go to Heaven, just a little bit. 
Just a little. Yeah. <laughs> Small nod, in my opinion. So, as we can see, protectors, uh, companions, godlike, um, very revered in history. And so now I think it's a good time to kind of transition from that and go into different kinds of breeds and how we manage to get all of them, our favorites, what breeds are currently registered with the world now. So here we go. I'm ready. <laughs> Humans have been selectively breeding dogs to emphasize favorable characteristics, which is what we talked about. But these include size, herding abilities, depending on your culture, and strong scent detection, of course, depending on their yeah intended purpose i guess right. is the best right. way to say that um hunters and gatherers for instance would choose wolf puppies like we said that had reduced aggression towards people and with the dawn of agriculture herding was huge so they needed guard dogs herding dogs protector for farm and flock etc um they also had to be able to eat a certain diet so wolves out in nature are going to be eating a lot of meat from their prey very mm -hmm. rarely are they just nibbling on a berry however mm -hmm. if you're in captivity it's kind of whatever is available to you i mean you're stuck to that area you're stuck to that landowner or whatever they are farm sure. owner and so you eat what they eat essentially mm -hmm. um, so their stomachs had to be able to take on that new diet restriction as well Gotcha. Distinct dog breeds don't appear to have been identified until 3,000 to 4,000 years ago, but the majority of dog types we have today had been established by the Roman period, funny enough. Understandably, these older dogs were likely working dogs for hunt, herd, and guard, and interbred to enhance speed, strength, and enhance senses, um, mm -hmm. such as sight and hearing. Sight hounds like the Saluki had heightened hearing or sharper sight that allowed them to track down and chase their prey. Mastiff type dogs were valued for their large muscular bodies, better able for hunting and guarding. Artificial selection through millennia greatly diversified the world's population of dogs and resulted in the development of various breeds, with each breed sharing uniform observable traits, as in size, behavior, characteristics, whatever. Um, most canine breeds are considered land races or dogs that have been bred without consideration of breed standards so you know you have mixes of different types of dogs that just kind of sure. happened <laughs> your your classic mutt breed correct <laughs> uh landrace dogs have a greater diversity in appearance compared to standardized breeds which are related or otherwise and these can be kind of like Scotch Collies, Welsh Sheepdogs, Indian Pariah. I mean, it's a it's a mismatch of that just kind of happens because they're in close proximity and they bred themselves and the end of story, a I guess. mommy dog and a daddy <laughs> dog love each other very much. No, we're not doing this. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> Moving along before we get the talk. Dogs and humans continue to share a unique bond even today as we know. And today, um, there are a couple of distinct organizations that kind of define what breeds exist. Um, and this includes both in America, they have their own society called the American Kennel Club, and outside in the world, um, the FCI or Federation Synologique Internationale, or like, I think it's like the World Dog Organization or World Canine Organization. It's huge. It goes beyond the American Kennel Club. 
Cool. So the American Kennel Club registers around 200 different dog breeds currently, and this number does not include mixed breeds or designer crossbreeds such as Golden Doodles or Cockapoos. Um, the first one being Golden Retriever Poodle Mix, the second one being Cocker Spaniel Poodle Mix. These have to be non-mixed um, from the lineage direct of one type of dog. The first breed to be recognized by the AKC was the Pointer in 1878, which is adorable. And the most recent additions to the AKC registry are the Bracco, Italiano, Moody, and the Russian Toy. Hmm. The worldwide FCI officially recognizes 360 breeds, and they are um, the largest federation of kennel clubs with members, associates, and partners in 98 countries, which is fantastic. For the American Kennel Club, there are um, breeds that are within seven groups. So you've got 200 dog breeds, and they're all kind of sectioned out into these seven groups. Sporting, hound, working, terrier, toy, non-sporting, and herding. Mm -hmm. The FCI has um, 10, uh, which include sheepdogs uh, slash cattle dogs, except specifically a Swiss cattle dog for some reason. I don't know. Uh, pincers and schnauzers, which are considered the mollusoid breeds, so Swiss mountain and cattle dogs, etc. Terriers, Dachshunds, Spitz and Primitive Types, Scent Hounds and Related Breeds, Pointers and Settlers, uh, settler, Setters, sorry. Setters, yeah. Retrievers, also known as Flushing or Water Dogs, Companion and Toy Dogs, and Sight Hounds. Huge list. Very I like specific. Yeah. I like their list better, I think, yeah. <laughs> than the American Kennel Club. It's a little nitty gritty, for sure, but I think it's necessary because they have significantly more breeds to kind of categorize yeah and sure. i'm positive this also has to do with like their lineage and like it's yeah. very obvious i mean you have water dogs yeah, so um i did want to just kind of break out giving you an idea of what the akc has in terms because you know sporting dog isn't as um helpful to think about as pointer and setters like those are very those are breed names specific um, dog right yeah mm -hmm. so um i kind of broke out the akc categories to give you an idea of what might be included in there so the sporting group consists of worked uh who worked with hunters to find and retrieve feathered game so birds uh, sporting dog breeds are energetic and active and include breeds such as the English Cocker Spaniel, Golden Retriever, and Labrador Retriever. Mm -hmm. The hound group was originally bred for hunting, and these dogs have really great sight and smell senses and include breeds such as the Beagle, Bloodhound, and Greyhound. Working dogs um, were initially bred to help humans with tasks such as guarding or sledding or things like that. They're considered very strong and intelligent and include breeds such as the Husky, the Boxer, and Bernese Mountain Dog. Terrier groups, which is technically a breed and actually makes sense to call them that, were originally bred to catch rodents and vermin underground, and they also acted as guard dogs for the family homes or barns. They often and that's why they're so loud. And mm -hmm. so small because they have to, I mean, think about a molehill, right? That's very right. small. Uh, they're often categorized by feisty and energetic behavior, which I think we can all attest to. <laughs> but they include the West Highland White Terrier, Scottish Terrier, and Bull Terrier, which I actually love the Bull Terrier. He's very cute with a schnoot. 
Um, and I don't think they went into all of them because, for example, the toy group are just toy versions of those. Non-sporting would be anything that wasn't in the sporting hound or working terrier group. And herding okay. is like Australian cattle dog. They have specific, like, or like a, um, a Pyrenees or something like that. Interesting. So um, I also wanted to say that I don't remember, I wish I could remember which episodes, but we do so many, it feels like, so there's no way I yeah. would absolutely know. But there was a couple episodes back where I did a good news segment on the UK that were working to end certain breeds, essentially. And the way that they were doing that was to make it illegal to breed uh dogs that had certain snout lengths under a um oh, minimum yeah. length yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so what you have to think about is when it comes to purebred animals um depending on the characteristics that you're breeding for or potentially just by accident you may have dogs that are or cats really that are predisposed to certain health issues because so, of the way that their body is so it's kind of like i think you're trying to touch on this but i and i i'm i think i know where you're going but like i so it's kind of like if so like if you breed and, and a pug falls out right <laughs> pug is the best example or like an english bulldog for example yeah i'm going to relate it to the snout part first yeah but those dogs have very severe respiratory issues because of the way that their respiratory system is then formed and so at least for the uk they find this to be very inhumane for certain breeds which right if you're bringing, right if you're bringing a dog and you know that they're going to have this issue regardless of their um normal health and whatever right. else genetics mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. their their stance is this is very harmful and unethical which that's right. i understand that and that makes perfect sense to me if that's the route that you'd like to go um and a lot of people are against in general the breeding of purebred dogs and things of that nature and i don't want to soapbox because it. well because of the genetic defects that can sure. occur which makes it's like it's reason why incest is right. illegal, right? Because it's the same if you're with breeding in a small gene pool, right? You're not getting the diversity to enhance the right. genetics, right? And this makes sense. And you always want to be, and of course, the, there's the tr uh, the trademark like puppy mills that are just really, you know, the dogs themselves are not well taken care of it's more of a money-making system and less of a companionship like a natural just they just have puppies whenever they have puppies or something you know what i yeah, mean yeah right however uh without going too deep i think some laws make sense and i think moderation and being mindful is so important because these are living breathing things and right you want to be conscious of that I myself yes. am not someone who thinks that you should never breed and that you should never buy from a breeder. I have two adopted cats and I have one purebred cat. So, you know, mm -hmm. it is what it is. But the purebred that we have uh, was not in a cat mill. I don't know what you would call the version of like a puppy mill, but whatever that <laughs> would consist yeah. of for cats. Right. Um, 
but that's also not to say every shelter is good. So you may have, you know, terrible shelters just as you may have terrible breeders. It's always important to do your research, know what you're getting, know potential pre-existing conditions of the animal that you are getting, whether again, it's adoption or otherwise. And it's hard with adoption too, because if it is kind of a mutt situation, you don't know their history. They may have zero medical history. Right. Um, But I think the point in me bringing this to light was to say, I don't personally have a problem with purchasing or adopting. I do think it's important to be ethical all the same. And I think it's an important topic to bring up since we did talk about breeds and, you know, purebred and things like that, just to kind of just mention it. We're not yeah. Dumb to it. <laughs> no, exactly. I think the science behind it is interesting because yeah. like, uh, what is it? Labradoodles are very yeah. popular right now they because they don't have as many allergens, yes. right? Which is important, especially for people who mm-hmm. are really sensitive to dander yep. and things like that. However, just because we can breed two dogs together doesn't mean that we should. Sure. Exactly. And that's where the ethical part yeah. comes in. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, the other thing to bring up that people who are 100% against it, that's your opinion and your values and whatever, you know, you attribute to, but also keep in mind that people that do have allergies that need a companion, maybe they suffer from some kind of trauma and they need a companion, but maybe they're also allergic to dogs. And so right. they need a, quote, hypoallergenic, and they're not really hypoallergenic, but they don't carry yeah. the allergens that the other types yeah. do. And one that allows that person to get help and two allows the dog an environment to thrive in as well, because, you know, right. And you can take that dog to any yes. environment and have a lesser impact Correct. on the people around you. Correct. So just kind of, you know, wanted to be sure to say it. Um, yeah. But I didn't want to end on that note because I know it can be very difficult for some people and it's a it's a tough topic. Um, So the discussion that I actually have for us is uh, do you have a favorite breed of dog, first of all, and why? (laughs) Well, (laughs) if you if it wasn't a mud situation and you had to choose if I had to choose. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like I first I mean, personally. I'm the kind of person who likes to go to the shelter and like see mm-hmm. what the vibe is. You Absolutely. Know? Um, but if I had to pick, <laughs> I grew up with a black lab mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he was magnificent. Love. Um, I also really, I've never owned one, mm-hmm. but I've, I love Bernese mountain dogs. Oh, well. they're so cute. They're so- they're so beautiful. Yeah. I think they're lovely. I like big dogs too. Yes. That's the other yes. thing. I'm not a small dog person. Um, they have their place and mm-hmm. all that. And if you like small dogs, that's lovely. I um I like dogs that can like sit up on the couch and take mm-hmm. like half of it. You know yes. what I mean? Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a big fan of like the chill. Mm-hmm. Any dog that is like super chill. I'm a fan. I have, I struggle with terriers because Mm -hmm. they are very loud and very energetic. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so I think Bernice mountain dog or any type of lab, even Mm -hmm. a golden retriever, I'm like down. I love, I love those dogs. They're my fave. Do you have a least favorite other than just saying small dogs in general, other than, you know? Yeah. So I haven't, 
I mean, honestly, I've never had a bad interaction with a dog, so nice. I can't really say any particular breed I specifically hate. I think if your dog is just really loud, um, <laughs> got it. I can't do it. Yeah, it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. Yeah, I agree. I I also have a big. Pr- I have trouble picking stuff, <laughs> like one singular mm-hmm. thing, and also, uh. So at least for the second half of my growing up life, I mean, we experience like Sharpays, German mixes, mm. Australian mm-hmm. Shepherds, uh, Hazel is a Collie mix of some sort, mm-hmm. uh, Great Pyrenees, many Aussies. So mm-hmm. it's hard, right? Because I'm also yeah. a big dog person and I really want a St. Bernard or something. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yes. And there was one at our local shelter actually that had been surrendered. Oh my god. Family couldn't move with him because I think they were like going overseas or something. Sure. Yeah. And they couldn't take him because he's he he was literally a horse. (laughs) And he was only like a couple of uh, months old. Oh my god. I know. So but Tyler and I always talk about this. Like we would love to have a dog. And Tyler's a lab guy. He grew up with a black lab and mm-hmm. Dalmatian. Yeah. And so that's his life. And I get yeah. that. Yeah. No, I totally. But yeah. he also grew up with terriers because Gracie and Jaden were both little terriers. Mm. And they're very cute. Bull terriers. So cute. Mm. Um, I also love boxers. They have the cutest faces. Oh, my they goodness. Do. They do. So anyway, wide range. But we did talk about this. We're like, you know, if we had a dog, we'd want like a beautiful yard for them to run and mm-hmm. you know we'd love a place for them to be able to explore and walk and have the best life right and medium to large dogs just can't do that in like yeah, an apartment it's hard. very you, easily you have to have you have to put in place the infrastructure yeah, for like a large dog because otherwise they just get cooped up in the house yeah. and they're not having a good time and that's yeah. and that hurts me you know as a fellow yeah. animal lover i can't do that <laughs> i know i agree so, i agree but yeah i agree i think my least favorite though i i know it's like stereotypical to dislike them but i can't stand chihuahuas i just, oh yeah i no. just, like they're just not the dog for me <laughs> have you seen that meme where it's like there's no bad dog chihuahua. <laughs> and then there's chihuahua <laughs> and i feel bad because i know that there are tons of people that love their chihuahuas so much but that's because yeah. that chihuahua loves you that chihuahua right. hates everything else yeah, yeah. that exists around it equally except for I will you say the i will give one exception shout okay. out to sienna oh. she has a chihuahua her name is gordy adorable and she is the cutest Aww. and most well-behaved chihuahua i have ever encountered but look at sienna though right no like, that's she is also like, it's, <laughs> so it's a lovely to her mother like yes. obviously <laughs> sienna would have the best chihuahua of course she ever. would <laughs> um but otherwise i have I never can't. i can't i can't and also pommies I also <laughs> feel really bad oh yeah pommies are pommies? Okay. yeah because oh, okay. they're also kind yeah. of loud and aggressive in their they own are way loud. yeah mm-hmm. anyway what were you gonna say yeah. they're really fluffy though mm-hmm. i was gonna say um that i feel bad for dogs that have like breeding issues like pugs yeah. for example yeah. or ones with or like bulldogs even yeah. with like their compressed snout yeah. i i have a hard time like yeah. i don't 
it is what it is, right? And I'm, yeah. I would, I, I love them. They're, sure. they're cute. I would not choose to own one though, no. just because I would feel bad every single day because no, yeah. I'm like, I can't you breathe. Can't, you can't breathe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And actually, there's, um, so there's somebody that I watch over on Twitch. I'll just plug that really quick. But there's somebody that I watch over on Twitch, and she has a, um, what is it? Uh, a cocker spaniel. And the thing is, they're so cute, but Mm. there was this one time she was talking about how she would never recommend um, purchasing a Cocker Spaniel Mm. because there's apparently some kind of um, disease and you don't know as puppies if they have it. It's within a certain age range. And if they have it, they just deteriorate so fast after you're discovering it. And it's so painful to watch and so terrible for the dog. And she's like, as much as I love her and like she is my dream dog and she's everything to me, I would never recommend her to anyone because of that. Because it's just so, it's terrible for both parties, you know? Yeah. 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 Have you seen those memes where it's like, I got my dog, like dog people are like, I got my dog from like this elite breeder, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And then the cat owner is like yeah i got him in the trash can outside. i love it like so much. and that's literally i feel like that's literally what it is yeah it literally is that cougar was definitely a stray and she lives for the streets and i love that for her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cats and dogs are so silly so silly Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Like I said from the beginning, we'd love to know what your favorites are. If you have dogs, you're required to send photos. Um, That's Mm -hmm. non-negotiable. And that's really all I have uh, for today. (laughs) Yeah. So with with that in mind, send us your pictures of your pets. Oh, yeah. Um, And you can do that by going to mediocrecontentpodcast at gmail.com. You can DM us on Instagram or TikTok at the same Mediocre Content Podcast. Or you can come into our Twitch stream um, on every other Thursday at 3 p.m. PST, 6 p.m. EST, or 11 p.m. BST and show us pictures of your animals there. Yes. Oh, and I also forgot, I always forget to add this. We're also on YouTube. So if you want to leave comments on YouTube, the recordings do go up. So Mm -hmm. feel free to leave your comments there on the episode that you want to leave the comment on. (laughs) We have our live streams recorded there. And then also we have all of our audio podcasts as well. Yepers. Oh, and five stars. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Rate us five stars wherever you listen to us. Um, And we'll see you next week. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been Mediocre Content. Thanks so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.